welcome once again into the soccer OG. That's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 21. Congratulations, we did it. We got through the Euros and Copa America, but we're not out of the woods yet. Gold Cup takes center stage, and then we enter the final stretch of qualifying, heading to the 2022 World Cup, which will be here before you know it. I know we have plenty left in the tank. This is the part of the Soccer OG where I remind you to please download, leave a review, say hello, share your experience on this podcast. It helps us grow. And again, as I always say, it works. So I will continue to do it and like to say a warm welcome to everyone listening, not just in the United States, but all over the globe. I mean, we've had some great, we've had great data coming in from folks in Great Britain and South America and Colombia, as we said last week. Well, now we got a download in Uganda. Now, if that doesn't tell you growth is on this doorstep of this program, I don't know what will. We're going to get into it. It's going to be a little bit of a different format this time around. My guest this week will be Christian Jack, who is a great broadcaster. He works for the Canadian Premier League. He's, in fact, the VP of Media and Content there and also One Soccer. He is here because we have a big game on Sunday when the United States face Canada, and we're going to talk all about it. We'll talk Gold Cup, and I'll get his thoughts on the Euro as well. There will be no stoppage time. Instead... Coming up here next, I will give you my thoughts on what we saw this weekend, why they were so important, what went right, what went wrong, where do we go from here with regards to Lionel Messi, Italy, England, penalties, and everything that is going to change from this point after. And then we'll get nice and snug with some Gold Cup. We'll talk to Christian about, we're off and running. The Canadians looked a lot better than the United States, but this tournament is still in diapers, and we'll see where it goes from here. But it's all heading towards what I think is going to be a game to determine who wins the group and possibly who will avoid Mexico until the final. But Mexico's not looking so well either, right? All this and much more. This bag is, well, what is, it, what is the expression? Our cup is running over, runneth over. I don't know where to put it all, but we'll find a way to discuss all the important stuff, as only the soccer OG does. Others try to keep pace with all this information. They wilt. I was born for this. Bring it on, soccer. I got everything and more. Bring it. I ain't afraid of you. Soccer OG. Subscribe, download, leave a review. The show gets started right now. We are back here on the Soccer OG. Let's get right into it. This weekend, we had two massive finals. The numbers are going to come out, and it's going to be pretty mind-blowing to see what the number is for Italy and England, which was on ABC, and then for Brazil and Argentina, which was on FS1. I think they'll get over a million for the Copa America final, which is incredible considering that was almost a throwaway tournament for Fox. Obviously, Univision's going to do very well with their numbers. Everything's on Univision. I don't know where they find the room for everything. It's Gold Cup and Euros and Copa America, but they found a way. I was actually in their studios a couple weeks ago where I cover Combate Global. If you haven't checked out Combate, it's now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Really great mixed martial arts company 
pushing the action that you see in Latin American countries, but it's open to everyone. We've got great American fighters, Mexican fighters, South American fighters, you name it. So check out Combate Global on Paramount+. Plus. But I was over at the Univision Studios, and it felt like the center of the earth, and you have all these dignitaries, Risto Stoichkov and Ivan Bambam Zamorano just walking around. It was a fun place to be, and, you know, everyone's going to take a deep breath, and some people already, you know... Uh, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I, we follow everyone on soccer media. In the, in the, if if you have some following, I'll follow you. You follow me. So we all tweet each other. And so many people patting themselves on the back for watching games. Like, hey, I put eight hours in. I watched this game. I watched all the... I was like, this is the gig. And by, by the way, it's fun to watch games. I'm sitting there. I'm trying to record this on a Sunday night. And I, I had to delay it because I wanted to see the end of Guatemala El Salvador. El Salvador won. They're in top of the group, Group A, ahead of of Mexico in the Gold Cup. After Mexico were, were tied 0 a 0 with Trinidad and Tobago and lost Chucky Lozano for the tournament. It feels a bit cursed, this competition thus far. Alfonso Davies out for injury. Chucky Lozano out for injury. Paul Ariolo picks up an injury for the United States. Uh, Reggie Cannon picked up an injury. He wasn't available in the 11. Daryl DK is not 100%. So it could be a war of attrition, which should benefit the U.S., probably should benefit Mexico. Again, we'll, we'll wait for the Gold Cup talk in the business end with Christian Jack. I don't know why I go the, in the business end. So, yeah, everyone, I don't understand it all. It's This is the gig. And uh, another thing that kind of... Look, in the Euros, and I want to talk about Copa America first so I can go in chronological order. But I want to get this thought. There was a... Uh, the Uni- when England missed the last penalties, and it was part of the storyline, Gareth Southgate brings in Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho in the 120th minute. So they come in, barely get a sweat, and then they got to sit around and get ready to take the third and fourth penalty. I thought it was a crazy decision. I even tweeted at the time, and in the end, it kind of blew up in Gareth Southgate's face. Now, along with Sako, who was the third, the fifth penalty taker, um, these are three black English players. And before we heard anything, people are getting out in front of it on Twitter going, here comes the, the narrative of the English racist. And, and of course, those tweets came. But I feel we're giving so much ammunition to that very small group, but very vocal group that are racist, and we, I don't want to hear from them. I really, truly believe we got to almost ignore them, because it's some Yahoo in his mom's house tweeting this. What What do you want to do? You want to do a manhunt and find? Who cares about this this loser? But we get up in a tizzy, and sometimes we wait for the responses. But we were actually getting out in front of it, assuming it was going to happen, which it did, and then. I don't know what positive that does. You, you brought attention to something that we probably shouldn't have brought attention to. It's very frustrating. I don't like the way it's covered here, the sport. And I know racism is a big problem. We want it stamped out. But you're not going to eradicate it. There's some backward people. Some dumb people out there whose minds you won't change. But we've got to just absolutely... Muffle that, muffle them as best we can. I feel bad for players when they get that, but I think the best thing for them is to just ignore and go, another scumbag. I'm not going to let him ruin my day. 
I'm just going to be careful with that. So, and I didn't want to start, I mean, really discuss that too much, but I just, I think we got to just be smarter about all of this and not try and break a story before it actually happens. I blame Gareth Southgate. I don't blame those players. <laughs> this was, that was on him, but we'll get to the Euros. Let's start with the Copa America and Matt Doyle had a great tweet and works for MLS and we didn't know if Lionel Messi was going to win this Copa America or a major competition. And it is a major competition, even though this Copa America was played in front of no fans, was barely played at all, had to move from being co-hosted by Argentina and Colombia to being hosted in Brazil at the very last minute. COVID cases up the yin-yang, issue after issue, traveling, quarantines, uh, I I never say cancel it or postpone anything. I almost thought this was there was this was untenable. Just cancel it. In hindsight, I'm glad we did it. But you know there were a lot of things with the Copa America, and I talked about it last week. You watch the Euros, you watch the Copa America, you watch the Gold Cup. There it is. The gap is so big. The Euro final felt like a World Cup final. It felt bigger than many of the World Cup finals I've experienced, and I've experienced every single one of them I've seen live since 1986. That's right, I'm old. I'm the soccer OG. Very few captured what happened there at Wembley, and that's part of the reason it was at Wembley, but the buildup, because it was these two countries, you know, the country that created the sport and the slogan, it's coming home, and Italy and their, their multiple World Cup trophies, and they have sought another Euro, and they've played in three of these finals in the Euros. That's as big of a game as you can get. Brazil-Argentina in inside an empty Maracanã, or close to empty Maracanã, and, in, and I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm burying the lead here, because this is about Messi. It absolutely is. But because it was a, a cursed tournament, empty stadium, and then it was an ugly, ugly game. One of the worst games I've seen. It was whistle after whistle after whistle. And look, we watch these games and you think, what are the what are the casuals going to think? We want to win fans. It's it's dollars and cents here. You want more fans here so this sport explodes. So listenership in the soccer OG explodes, all of that. And when you see those games, like, that said, I went for my run at the beach in Santa Monica, threw the rugby ball around. Saturday, I went out with the family. We went to the Griffith Observatory. So we drove around LA downtown and Los Feliz and Silver Lake. I drove by three or four bars. All of the bars, every TV had the Copa America going on or the Euros going on. No baseball, no golf. It was, and people were looking up at the screens. It was pretty impressive for both games. They knew what, what was what. We didn't have to spell it out for them. So this was still a big event with Brazil and Colombia. However, it it shouldn't it shouldn't overshadow what happened. I don't think anyone looks at it. But I want to get back to the Matt Doyle tweet where he said when Lionel Messi wins it and the first thing that happens is all the players rush to Messi knowing here is a guy who has shouldered the burden for Argentina for so long and he finally gets to take it off his shoulders. A guy who went Always asked to represent his country, and not everyone does this, says yes. He's nonstop. He doesn't want to disappoint anybody. He wants to he wants to play. He knows people come out to see him. And not in a cocky way. 
You saw these celebrations in India and Bangladesh. Hundreds of people on their, on their mopeds waving Argentinian flags. Just unbelievable images. They're not fans of Argentina. They're fans of Lionel Messi. He is an absolute phenomenon. One we will never see again like this. People love him because they can relate to him. Because he's so likable. I've been critical of him because he hasn't won the big one. I wanted him to win the big one so we didn't have to talk about it. And I, it, again, it didn't feel like a big one, but they did win. They got by some tough opponents, Colombia, which was really good. And then by Brazil, the hosts, who were really flat. Argentina got a big break with Hernan Lodi making the defensive mistake. Angel Di Maria puts it top shelf. And there you go. Argentina deserve it. Lionel Scaloni, uh, they put defensive mastery. This is not the sexy Argentina that we've seen in years past where they're pinging it around and scoring incredible goals with Diego Maradona, Claudio Canigia, Gabriel Batistuta. This is much different. This is a hard-working team that kind of protects Messi, puts him in good positions, and, uh, and it works. But it's not great to watch. But it doesn't really matter, right? It's all result-driven. I think one thing we talk and walk away from watching these competitions is that's that. And if people inter- new to the sport come in and say, this is hard to watch, you go, you've got to appreciate it for what it is and know the gravity of playing in a final. And that's why it was so huge that Lionel Messi finally was able to accomplish that. And now you have to feel he has a shot the way they're playing, playing like this. At the World Cup, the Qatar World Cup is going to be good for non-European teams. You know, I've been talking about Europe and how it's it's almost as big as FIFA, UEFA, because all the good teams and all the good players are there. I mean, think about teams that didn't even make a quarterfinal in the Euros. France, Germany, the Netherlands, you know, star-studded squads. They didn't even make the quarterfinals. Last World Cup, four semifinalists from Europe. Europe has won, man, they won it. I'm just thinking out loud. Okay, they won it in 2018. 2014, it was Germany. 2010 was Spain. 2006 was Italy. It just keeps going on. I mean, we have to go way back for someone that wasn't European to win it. The gap's widening. We've got to find ways to close the gap. I think a combined Copa America Gold Cup could help that. It's not a crazy idea. Lionel Messi and the appreciation he got from his teammates was a lasting impression for me. And it was good to see him happy. It really, really was. And I hope he enjoys every moment. And now, he, by the way, he's still a free agent. We see what he's going to do with his club. But it's he's been completed and he deserves that. And I hope he heads into this next... I mean, by the way, he wasn't... I mean, he scored the goals, but he was... Nowhere near one of the best players on the field in that final. Really not in the semifinal either. Doesn't really do much, but that's that's what happens. He's there in those big moments. He can make a huge difference. But they have the players to lift him and the squad as they showed the way they navigated this tournament. So give them all the credit and give Lionel Messi beyond all the credit. And now it's on Neymar's shoulders. He hasn't won one because he wasn't with the squad when they won it two years ago, the Copa America. And... uh South America needed that too because Brazil was starting to distance themselves from the pack. Now we got to get Colombia going and Chile. That World Cup qualifying in that region is going to be crazy. Okay, let's go to the Euros. 
England scoring the fastest goal in Euro final. Luke Shaw breaking through. Horrific images in and around Wembley. And we heard stories of fans without tickets just sitting in there and watching it. And the security wasn't there to really do anything. So when there was supposed to be 60,000, you could feel it. It felt completely full. And it was raucous. And everybody was watching. England take the lead. They They looked like they took the Spain playbook from how Spain played uh, Italy in the semis very successfully, which was not really playing with a number nine, having some guy like uh, Olmo become this guy who can draw out defenders, in that case, Leonardo the Bonucci. And they, they did that with Harry Kane here a little bit, and it was working. And for 20, 25 minutes, England was really pushing all the buttons. Didn't really, they only had the one shot on goal, but they came close. Luke Shaw broke through on a couple times. Raheem Sterling was there too. And then something happened. And I can only imagine it was Gareth Southgate feeling that his team was going to win with this goal. And they were going to defend. And the number of possession got up to 70, which you just don't see. You don't see a team like England playing at home in a major final with 30% possession. Doesn't add up. Especially as good as they, go, they looked. So they played a dangerous game where they went defensive. And in that process, they uh, were equalized. The goal coming through and Italy all of a sudden continuing to push as a game would go into stoppage time. And Italy, I mean, they had a lot of shots. They had a lot of pressure. They got the goal from Bonucci in the 67th minute, I should say. And... Italy continued to apply that pressure. They ended up with 66% possession, possession, 19 shots to six, 820 passes to 426. So statistically dominating. But Gareth Southgate had that goal and he wanted to protect it. And he got to it and he got to penalties. But that's when things got really strange. 120th minute, he introduces Jaden Sancho, And Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford is a great striker. Plays for Manchester United. But didn't play a whole lot in this competition. 23 years of age. Jaden Sancho, who's going to be Rashford's teammate at Manchester United very soon. He's just 21. You had those two. And then 19-year-old, who took the final penalty, Bukayo Saka. And it was just an odd, it was an odd order. Harry Kane going first, I would thought he would go fourth or fifth. But the thing with Rashford and Sancho, coming in at the 120th minute, barely getting to kick a ball and then sitting around and wait to take a penalty, that is a really odd position to put these guys in. You want people that have been getting the minutes, no, that are into the game. I mean, hindsight is 22. I tweeted about it at the time. I go, what, what's going on? This is strange. Gareth Southgate deserves so much credit for doing. England did an incredible thing in this tournament. England was, you know, they never got to quarterfinals. They were getting further and further away from making an impression in major competition. So now they've been to a World Cup semifinal, and then they get to the final of the Euros. They're trending in the right direction. I just, I just saw them play very defensive, and I'm going, England, you have better players. You have 
players on your bench that could win this. You, I mean, I, I'm not against Sancho or Rashford coming in, but not in the 120th minute. Bring him in at the 103rd. 100th. I just thought England have better talent all, all the way across. And I mean, they, they're going to obviously have a lot of regrets because they were so close. And the Italian, these are the best two teams by the end of the tournament. And it, they were triumphant. They certainly were. But this, you know, you would like to think they're going to get back there again. But you never know. The team's still very young. Very talented, has everything, has everything. I mean, even, you know, even the Stones McGuire defensive tandem were great. Now, Pickford even was pretty good. I mean, he made a couple penalty stops. I don't think you're saying he's a top 10 def- uh, goalkeeper. So, all of this really fell well for England, not to mention they hosted the semis and the, the quarters, the semis in the final, or the semis in the final. Was it the quarters? They were a lot at Wembley, which sometimes may not be an advantage. Sometimes it's best to get out of there, especially if you're playing all these games. But Incredible to see those sights and the pop when Luke Shaw scored. Uh, I, 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 I felt really bad for England at the end. And that's weird because I knew just dreading England winning and just seeing my Twitter timeline blowing up and, you know, having a, a, a marathon of East Enders on uh, all these channels and people eating, putting HB sauce on all their French fries. I'm just carrying on. PG tips for dinner. I was dreading that a little bit, but I felt bad. And I know um, the, the English, their outlook has changed a bit. You know, they are like, they are feeling, look, this is, we, we have suffered. We have suffered so much. So we want to get, we want to get that feeling back. And they're getting there close, but they were almost there. They could touch it, but it slipped away. And the Euros as, a, as in total, magnificent. Storylines, superstars, great games. Lots of goals, especially own goals, which we got to change that rule. We got too many own goals. Give credit at least to some of them. Don't be so, you know, just black and white. Hits a defender, it's an own goal. Let's just adjust it. I want to see less own goals. It doesn't benefit anyone. It's bad for the defender, and it's not great for the attacker who could say to come contract time, look, I scored four goals in this tournament. No, it was three own goals. Sorry. Euros were a huge success. Copa America. This had to get it over with, but congratulations, you got the best storyline out of the bunch. Now we move forward. It's all Gold Cup, and instead of me continuing on the Gold Cup, I'm going to take a quick break. When we return, Christian Jack will join us to preview USA, Canada, and talk Gold Cup as we, we look for the champion of CONCACAF. This is the Soccer OG. We are back here on the Soccer OG, and we're going north of the border for an OG up in Canada. The one and only Christian Jack, who is now the uh, VP of Content and Media with the Canadian Premier League and also won soccer here on SiriusXM. And I know an absolutely gutted Englishman after what happened on <laughs> Sunday. Ha- have you compartmentalized the emotions here for a bit to have a good chit chat? 
Always have a good chit chat with you, my friend. It's a pleasure to be on. A massive fan of you. You know that. And um, yes, yeah, a difficult moment as a as a fan slash broadcaster. The England game was actually the first time since two thousand and six this tournament that I haven't worked a tournament covering England, uh, so I actually could watch it as a fan. But as we were just discussing before we taped, at five fifty six p.m. Eastern, Saka's <laughs> penalties missed, and at six p.m. Eastern, I was live for Gold Cup coverage for Canada versus Martinique. So a quick turnaround and. Uh, burying the emotions very quickly was not easy. Let me tell you. <laughs> I'm sure nobody could tell. Nobody would have been able to tell you're a complete pro, but inside you must've been stewing. Cause I could not even imagine I did, just to touch on that, the historical significance of it all. And this, uh, this world cup triumph in 1966 and generations of, I mean, at least one full generation, not more of, of Englishmen and women who have, have not seen it to, to be obviously be able to, to, to uh to almost touch it but it, it had to be an incredible ride as well to see that to see this team kind of rise up and uh you know a lot of people a lot of a lot of folks are automatically anti-england with it but i and and even me sometimes because i i always like to as we say take the piss out of my english friends <laughs> but it was hard not to like that english team they had a great spirit they had an incredible uh uh just a a, a great group mentality and it's it just slipped away from them from a very very in, just talented and uncompromising Italian team, but this English squad I think made a lot of fans over the last few weeks. Yeah, they certainly did. I, I have to say, you know, covering them as a pro and then always being a fan of them, it, it, they were not always easy to like. Uh, this has been a very easy team to like, you know, and led, led by their leader. And I might be biased because I've obviously got the Aston Villa connections and I know you're Claret and Blue with West Ham. But for me, it's, you know, Gareth Southgate is the epitome of a real gentleman. And, you know, I've had the pleasure of had a little bit of interaction with him and he's all class in every interaction that you could ever have. And he sets the tone for a very likable group and everything they stand for and, and, and encompass everything that they believe in and doing the right thing, um, you know, on and off the pitch. It is the team that, you you know, you in the past, a lot of people would have said, no, you know, they're, they're, they're balanced, they're not really likable, the players don't really want to be there in this game of football where we know club football rules the roost with the finances and the dominance. A lot of people were just kind of hanging out as an international player for England. And now, you know, with, with all the things that we've covered the game and we're going to get into the Gold Cup, when you cover international football, I've always had a feeling that there's this great flavor of uh, players coming together and playing with their mates, you know, and that's what England was able to recuperate with something that other countries have had a lot for a long time. I remember quickly, quick story being in New York, not that, you know, a few years ago when Columbia stayed at the same hotel as I did and hanging out and seeing what they were like in the, you know, in the lobby and Freddie Garin and Hamas Rodriguez and Codrado. And you could just see that they love to leave their club game and, and, and play together because it was coming together with their friends. And I think that England struggled to capture that for many years but i think southgate definitely galvanized that group and did it in the end the process was good but the outcome was different i like how you dropped freddie guarin first ahead of hamas he must have made an impression <laughs> you know what i saw him a lot more than hamas hamas was kind of like he wasn't hamas is not a guy that could really hang out in a lobby very often for sure obviously but garin was like the party the middle of the party at that point it's interesting you you, you mentioned about uh these hanging out with their mates and I think we all forget about the sacrifices that these guys make to be international players, even more so in a year like this, where they had a compacted league season and there were, there were obviously postponements and cancellations and positive COVID tests that 
change the cadence of a season repeatedly. And then for them, they went right off their club season to come here. And they're going to go right back pretty much their club season. They'll have a little bit of a break. Some of the guys who went there for the duration, but it's been such a testing and trying year. And yet you didn't really see so many guys hanging their heads down. They were, they were thrilled to be there with their mates. Maybe not all of them, but I think England certainly showed that Italy showed that. And they had the, the biggest commitment in these euros, Argentina, Brazil, certainly Argentina certainly showed that Brazil for to a lesser degree, but you saw you saw these guys that come together and so seize this moment. And, you know, all these guys need a break. All these guys need to decompress. And especially this year. And I never felt that for a minute. I never felt for watching these games. These guys were checked out or no. running out of steam. It was pretty I, I, I don't think we can ever give these guys enough credit. And they've in we'll see what happens in the Gold Cup. But with these two competitions to me that was one of the bigger euros because a it came off covid so everyone could take a deep breath and it felt like we got back to normal whether you're an england fan or not to hear that stadium erupt for the luke shaw goal or the harry kane penalty is is something that we can all relate to and then to see Lionel messi celebrate that triumph and his teammates jumping on him at the end of the game to know how important that was for him and for his status as an all-time great. But it, it's the Euros in particular, it was it, it was cathartic for a lot of us because it felt like we were getting back to normal. And that's that process I thought would take a while, but it felt like they hit the speed up button really quickly. Yeah, I agree with you, Max. There's some really great points you mentioned there. And it's it's the point, is it not that, you know, the, no other game in the world brings more people together, first of all. And then, you know, the international game brings more people together than ever because you've got countries uniting together. You know, you don't have that great divide that club football can really bring, you know. So, you know, I think that's really, truly special. And your point about the players is a good one, too, because, you know, for me, it's that weight of moment. They know they're playing for something that they're ever forever going to be remembering. You know, after their careers are over, they're going to remember that. They might not. They might not be able to retell the first fifteen games of the Premier League season in 2020-21 or whatever. And for, you know, it's those. The value of those games are so much higher, and we have so much expectations of these players to deliver every week. And I just hope that everybody realizes that that you know, for, for all the glory that we've had here, there's going to be a, a bit of a come down. Players are going to have to be fatigued, and they're going to. You know, I don't want people writing players off because Messi's not playing well for Barcelona in October. Who cares? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's going to come. What's the matter come, with Max. him? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going to come, right? We're, we're all in a little bit of an isolation where we're like, oh yeah, just let's clip that moment. He's not playing very well now, but you know, to have those moments of international football, which I think is really important to have as, a, as, as fans of the game is great because look, the club game, tactically speed of thought coaching as as far surpassed the international game in terms of the quality that you're seeing the high end but the, what the international game brings is what the club game can never bring is those moments together and that pull to win those big trophies of copper america the euros world cups and that's where we are right now we're in this bizarre two train tracks going down the path where one is club football which brings brilliant um, exciting high level football at the highest level and guardiola and everybody all these top coaches are in it club but on the other side, you've got lesser coaches, lesser quality, lesser quality of matches, but the game's worth so much more. And I love that. It was, uh, how was it in, I mean, in Canada? Because I was actually driving around this weekend and 
everyone was watching these games. You drive by bars and restaurants, all the TVs had the games on. And I always do this, this look at the, the folks in the, at the tables, are they looking up at the TV? And they by and large were, this became a, a real big event. And I, in particular, the euros, and I'll, I'll probably ask two questions at once here in particular with the euros, you had this great England story, the Italian story, the Danish story was remarkable. The Spain revival, France getting, I mean, you're losing digits on your fingers with right. all these compelling stories. And uh, it just adds to it. And, and I've been campaigning. It's, I know it will never probably happen. But when I watch the Euros and how they've distanced themselves from all the regional tournaments, it was always the biggest regional tournament, if we can call it that. But it uh, it feels so light years ahead of Copa America and certainly the Gold Cup, which has its limitations. And I was kind of campaigning. Why don't we let's let's join forces, Americas. Let's join forces to see if we can create something like what they have in Euro, where you have this long list of of countries that can actually win it and more stories than you can shake a stick at. You know, I, I think maybe it's possible way down the road because money is going to become such a big factor because the Euros is just going to get bigger because it's going to be viewed as almost one tier below a World Cup because that's what it felt like yeah. to me. And it points even better because you have a final like that that you can't really duplicate in many cases at a World Cup. Yeah, it's a great point about the duplication. It's really difficult to do. First of all, what's it like in Canada? Well, you know, I've had the privilege of covering international football here for a long time or soccer. And, you know, when I've done World Cups for TSN or Euros, you know, we have editorial meetings and it's stressed right away. And, and, and the research that we do, and you know us when we, how much work we put in, is that you literally have a fan, really a fan group of people for every country in this, you know, when we've done World Cups, you know, how the, the, the great divide, you know, the great, the great diversity within this country. And, you know, you got fans from all over, but there was flags all over here in, in Toronto, Italian flags, England flags everywhere. It, you know, massive street parties and big celebrations going on afterwards. And we you know we've seen it in major tournaments forever, you know, when go back to when I was covering it in 2004 with Greece and the Danforth in a big moment in Toronto. So it's really special. You know, it brings people, people together a lot for in this country and, and you're right you know the next great i guess the, the con you know the, the next great thing we need to try and conquer here is is raising the gold cup standard a little bit and you know right now it's it's every couple of years so it's a little bit like copa america where the euros has been every four years which makes it a bit more special but you know i still think as i said earlier you know we just saw the nations league final with the u.s mexico and the great emotions that that brought out Right now, the Gold Cup doesn't feel like they can get there. But trust me, we've got that right at the end of this. It could it could very much happen. And that Nations League finals is a great example of what we saw what could come, you know, in Denver, what could happen going forward. Yeah, that Nations League final kicked it all off for us. It was yeah. the it was the beginning. Magical. So let's let's talk a little about the Gold Cup. And <laughs> I, you talked about being on air for the Canadian game, and I don't want to diminish this. And the Gold Cup's gonna get good. This is it's just starting, and now it's gonna have the spotlight because everything else has run its course. But I was, <laughs> I went from this euphoria at Wembley flip, <laughs> flipped over the channel. And like, you know, about 5,000 people, 6,000 people watching Canada and Martinique in Kansas city. It was a, it was a bit of a stark transition, but you, we get it. And, and now we, we, we kind of recalibrate things and get ready for this next stage. And I want to talk to you about Canada. I know the U S played later that night. El Salvador played, beat Guatemala, and now we have some games, Mexico tied Trinidad and Tobago. So there's so many stories already brewing here in this 16-team tournament. Uh, Honduras, Costa Rica, Qatar is going to come in there, all 
teams I think we want to take a peek at to see if they or Jamaica as well that could certainly compete here and make some noise in this uh, 2021 edition. The U.S. side, uh, and I don't know how much of that you, that game you saw, but it was it was frustrating, and it's it's strange because America U.S. soccer Twitter is is getting very very impatient with a lot of things, and I uh, I do my little YouTube uh, soccer OG and. People on Twitter, when I, I, I try to get the feedback, we go, let them have it. Let them have it. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, what, what do you, they won a game. I go, this is kind of how it works. It's, uh, it's an opening match. I don't, I don't know if I want to rip into them. Uh, granted, I saw some flaws and there's things you'd like some improvement. There was reason to be optimistic with some of the young players off the bench, but I think you get a result. It's, I, 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 I'm reluctant to be too critical and, it, it is what it is, and we'll. You'd like to see some growth. Maybe the only reason I felt a little bad about the U.S. is in comparison to what Canada did, who fell behind early and then just went bananas. And I, I, I think Haiti's a better team than Martinique, but I don't know how by how much Martinique has proven that they have some good players. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on how 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 you look at the the favorites? Because obviously the U.S. fan base is upset, the Mexican fan base is more reason to be upset with what happened there, but just maintaining, uh, maintaining how the perception of this tournament about how it, how it operates. Yeah. I think it's a really good question about the perception because in many ways, the United States and Mexico uh, have looked at this tournament and, and thought it's a no win situation for us, right? Particularly the Mexicans. And, you know, they've, they've talked about that at length is that they, how do we get tested by things? You know, Oh, we're going to win another gold cup. It never really moves the needle in terms of how do we really you know, look and analyze this team and take into the next level. Now I do think it adds again, back to the fact that they lost the nation's league final. I think that that adds a bit more spice because they don't want to be losing another one, by the way. So that puts a lot of pressure on them. Uh, and it is their tournament to lose. Now the United States is a little bit more of a transitional time. I feel, feel for Berhalter and I feel for international management anyway it's very difficult because you're often asked to cook to cook up a masterpiece and very often the ingredients are changing on the fly and suddenly you've got this wonderful ingredient oh no sorry that's not available you're going to change it with this one and it's like you know and then expectations remain the same despite that I do think though that you know for Canada and to answer your question there's a little bit more harmony and fluidity with the tactics that they're playing right now than the United States so the United States have had a lot of changes Canada have lost Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies, their two best players, but they have an understanding of the way they're going to play. They play the same system and they've got a, as I said, they've got some continuity that's come off just some recent games where they've just won the games against Haiti and other teams like Suriname to get into the final World Cup qualifying. And it's that motivation now and that continuity that's really inspiring them here. There's been some discussions here, Max, about some people saying, is it that important for Canada? You know, the World Cup qualifiers mean everything. And of course they mean everything, but this is a team that has played so many quote unquote inferior teams over the last two years, they're dying to be tested. You know, you mentioned it. They, they conceded a goal after 10 minutes to Martinique. It was a, it was a defensive mistake. Kamal Miller played the ball to Mark Anthony Kay got, you know, pressed a little bit, turned it over and the ball went in the net. And John Herman was almost laughing after the game saying like, 
were kind of need to be tested. It was kind of, it didn't say he was glad it happened, but it's almost to the point where they want to feel like they're being pushed against a wall and so they can come out fighting. Well, too many, too many of these other games have been seven ones or 11 nils and things like that over the last few weeks. So months. So it's, um, it's a big tournament for Canada, as you mentioned, Haiti, and then, and then the U S game. And I think Canada go in despite the lack of Davies and David as uh, thinking that they can try and beat the United States. And that, that's certainly the, the perception they've got up here. I don't know how you guys think about the Canadians down there. Well, I think we got to learn a lot more. And I'm always, I look at CONCACAF and if the more the merrier where we can get teams that uh, can create uh, excitement and teams that can compete for these World Cup spots, obviously it's going to be harrowing when the qualifying begins because you know, I, I think I, we were watching the, the Fox broadcast and Alexi Lalas was talking about it and he's, and it just hit me when he said it. He goes, yeah, the, you know, the U.S. looks good. They're, they're doing all the right things. They, they've prioritized World Cup qualifying, which they, we haven't really said it. So they've said it, but not really so publicly where World Cup qualifying is one, Gold Cup probably two, Olympic qualifying three. And obviously we know what happened with the Olympic Games. It's not going to happen. And everyone was upset. Some people were really upset. And I was like, all right, let's move on. We've got to really focus on the important stuff here. Berhalter's brought in a ton of guys. As, are all the guys worthy? No, but no one's going to bring in the perfect collection. But he's brought in 30, 40 guys that have given long looks to see if they can be part of this team. I think he's been very fair. And we we get caught up into Mexico, but there's this, you know, this, this shiny new development with teams like Canada in particular. Canada's at the top of that list. And I think we, we're looking for these, these new rivalries and to be tested. But just getting back to the Alexi Lalas comment, but he mentioned all the things that they're doing well. And he goes, and it's all about qualifying at the World Cup if we can make it. And I was like, whoa, whoa. And then I thought about, we have Canada and Jamaica and Honduras is going to be hungry because they missed out at the World Cup, that even at the last hurdle, more so than the U.S. in 2017. Uh, we know Costa Rica, Panama, these countries are going to be competitive. And I look at that octagon and I'm like, oh, this is uh, this could be... A, a lot more tricky than we would anticipate, even though our talent is better and we're more we're deeper and we have this young exuberance, which I think will bode us well. But Canada is uh, I was I was curious to see what they would look like. And they passed the eyeball test. I mean, Tejan Buku Cannon was obviously called the man of the match. But the way he was going up there, I was like this. They, they've got a, a really nice find in him. Eustachio, uh, who had a really nice goal and the the pop off the bench as well. And I thought that would be an issue for the Canadians because of no David and Davies. Uh, But I saw, you know, Lucas Cavallini, I know they're not having a great season at Vancouver, but not a bad guy to come off and he didn't look lost. And Corbinu was it also came off score to go. I, I, they're doing something right there. This is because Canada was a, is a punchline for so long. Haven't qualified for the world cup in 1986. Clearly the sport has taken a boost there. Young young players are getting into it and staying into it, seeing the pathway to Europe. Obviously, Davies and David has to be a a massive uh, a, a massive image for young players in Canada to to look at and say, "Wow, could we? Could that be me one day?" I think everything on the list they're checking off, and it's hard to imagine the World Cup qualifying. Canada is not in the thick of it, and even more so to Imagine them not being in a World Cup, if not 2022, then the 2026. 
Yeah, it's a really exciting time up here for those of us who have known a lot of these young players for some time. And it's really, you know, it's it's a game that continues to take off here. But for the for, for this group, they need success now to translate, right? So now that's why it was so important to get into the World Cup qualifying final stage for this group because that just now becomes, for the, for the casual soccer fan who might follow the English Premier League or the Euros, or as I said earlier, there might be a big Italian fan. What we haven't had right now is the investment into the men's program for Canada for so long because it's like, well, who do you, oh, I'm an Italian fan. I follow Italy in the Euros and the World Cup. What about your team in Canada? Well, I don't really know much about them. But now suddenly they go, oh, well, Alfonso Davis is playing in the Champions League and winning Champions Leagues for Bayern Munich. Jonathan David's playing. Oh, he's, he's winning the, the league. He's beating PSG to win a league and a title. Suddenly it's translating and going, these guys are worth following. And then you mentioned Estacchio, who's a very underrated player. They're watching players like Kay and Azorio and Larea develop and Piet and Cropo at an MLS clubs and Cavallini. So suddenly they're translating and and going, okay, now the, the buy-in is there. Now they've got to deliver. They know that, you know, they, but it is a very exciting time up here for that. And, um, you know, the, the women's team got back-to-back bronze medals in the Olympics in 2012 and 2016. And I've so many fans up here because of that. So many people looked at that and watched those games because of the success. And now this is the men's team. They want to translate. The fans are there. They just need to build on that success. Whether it be a Gold Cup is going to help, but then the World Cup qualifiers is going to be imperative for them. And they need to compete. They need to be involved in that. You mentioned the young players, you know, even someone like Ayo Akinola, who I know could have played for the States. Now he's, 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 he's in this squad for Canada as well. So it's a, I think it's a team that believes they've got a real chance to make it to Qatar 2022, whether they do or not. Defensively is the big concern. Every player we've talked about, Max, is all great player going forward. What about defensively? You know, centre-back is an issue. They openly admit that. How do they mask their issues? They're playing a back three right now with Alistair Johnston from Nashville playing as one of those as a ball-playing player. Come on, Miller from Montreal. They're trying to masquerade that with a back three. And you mentioned Buchanan going one way, Larray going the other. The key will be against a team like the United States. Is it a three box three or is it a back five? And, you know, that's the key, right? So when they played against, um, I was there in Orlando, when they played against the United States in Nation League, everyone remembers the game at BMO when you guys lost to Canada. But when we went the other way, it was a pretty humbling experience that night for the Canadians because the United States were very good that night. Des got forward, you know, Pulisic was excellent and they got they, they got beat. So the key now for, for this Canadian team is can they compete with the likes of the US and those other clubs and mention it going forward? Because I think that's going to be, Really, really special if they can get close to making a World Cup and engaging the public here in Canada. It was a, a breakthrough moment, certainly. It, it, it'll be interesting, to, like, as you say, how do they play? How aggressive do they go at the United States? Because they have that go forward and having good centre-back pairings, you can see how important it is. Just look at what Italy and England were able to do in the Euros. So uh, it's I, I look at this, this, it's a great opportunity, obviously, but like the United States, they have to look towards September and the big, the big competition. I know winning a gold cup or making a gold cup final uh, obviously does incredible things for Canada. Optics wise, people will pay attention and getting within the reach of a trophy. By the way, Christian, I should say this. I'm very proud of this. 2000. I was at the Rose bowl in the pouring rain to watch Canada beat Columbia it was right. me and about 50 other people. <laughs> not the, it was at the Coliseum. I'm sorry, not the Coliseum. At the Coliseum to see them win that gold cup, which was an incredible right. run for them. And uh, that came completely out of the blue. This probably would not 
be as much. And just to re- re-emphasize, after watching the U.S., and this will be in Kansas City, both teams are playing there, have had a game there. Uh, I don't think it would come out of the blue. And the U.S. have to have the attention. And it's an important game because in all likelihood, winning it or, or finishing first in the group, you avoid Mexico until a potential final Getting to the final is not going to be easy. There's enough quality teams there to complicate things there for them altogether. But uh, it's uh, it's an important spot here for them, and I think it's it can uh, it it has to be a, a force to kind of change the way it's viewed. Do you think it would be something like if they made a final in the Gold Cup that those eyeballs? And by the way, when I'm in when I I loved going to Canada when I would cover usually Toronto FC games. I'd sit in my hotel. And whatever was on the TV and you would be on there, but it was soccer all day. So the appetite is there. Maybe just connect the dots to the national team. A a, a performance like that might be able to do it. Oh, a hundred percent, Max. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, if you start beating teams like the United States, getting to finals and playing Mexico, then suddenly, you know, the people start really paying attention to that stuff. So yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a big moment for, it's a big year. It's a big few months for this team. And um, as I said, for the World Cup qualification process, that's going to only boost their confidence. You know, this is still a team that isn't shying away from the fact that they know they've not accomplished anything yet. And that is really important to stress because, yes, they've come so far. So far. Yes, they've qualified for the final round of the World Cup qualifying for the first time since 1998. But Mark Anthony Kay, who was obviously a good friend of yours from LAFC, is what we said this. He said, look, you know, we need another level. Is there another level to this team? We sure hope so, because if we don't, we're not making anything. They know that they need to cut. They, if they if they're going to beat the United States or they're going to make the World Cup, they have to find different levels together. I'll say this: the camaraderie is special. It's real. It's not fake. Um, it's there's real open and transparency about this. That they get together and they work really hard. And John Herbin has set the tone for that. And they really believe in each other and the ability. And there's many of those players that are all kind of going on the trajectory at the same time. You know, they're all coming, they're all building up. We mentioned Buchanan, he's the next off the line, you know, that he could be going to Europe next, you know, from, from New England. So, there's, you know, you look at Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, they're at a different level than the rest, but there's a real special bond there. And, you know, obviously, I think defensively, it could be the one, ultimately it could be ones that catches them out, but it will be nothing like, you know, team chemistry or the lack of bonding or belief that will keep this team away. It's crazy when you think about David and Davies, you know, Davies are arguably the best player in CONCACAF. Maybe not really have to say arguably. Jonathan David is the best forward when you look at what he's done with his club. I think the only one who can compete right now, and keep in mind Raul Jimenez's injury takes him out of the equation because it was a really bad injury. The only one who can really compete with that is maybe Albert Elise off the top of my head because the U.S. have the same issues with these forwards. So these clear-cut strengths for Canada and these European breakthroughs, I'd like to get to ask you about the MLS developments because uh, we know about academies and we know about uh, the dedication to finding the next young group of players. How do you think that's been going for Canada? We've seen the results uh, and even guys, guys like Luke Cannon who come and to the university system in the U S but developing those young players, where was it and where is it, where is it now? And how much I would imagine to improve, but how much of an improvement have you seen? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a crossroads right now because it has improved. There's no doubt we're starting to really see that youth academy players who were 16, 17, a couple of years ago, coming to MLS and give, get, given opportunities in major league soccer. It's, 
it's at that point now where a lot of these young players and TFC have got quite a few of these players. When you think about Jaquel Marshall, Rudy and Jaden Nelson, players like that, Ralph Prizo have all played for Toronto FC already. They're getting opportunities, but they haven't got enough opportunities because Toronto FC have been struggling. Um, Montreal have had difficulty getting their young players in. Now I'm working a lot right now with the Canadian Premier League. And this is, this is a discussion you have to bring in together with this league is that this team this this country needed this professional league. You know, it needed this league. So now you've got young players, like I'm covering players every week who are 17, 18-year-old Canadians who are getting opportunities to play professional minutes in a professional environment consistently. And these young players, like anywhere, Max, they need opportunities to succeed and fail and find out and get through the failures to succeed again. And often in MLS academies or MLS, they're getting five minutes here or 10 minutes here or pulled off at halftime here because it's a results-based you know, system. It's all about the outcome and the coach is going to get fired if they don't play well. And we know that this is exactly what happened in TFC last week. So um, they, they're not getting opportunities as much as they'd like. Vancouver have played young players and Canadians as well. Uh, so the opportunities are there. But now I think there's a real important pathway that you guys obviously went through after World Cup 94 with the emergence of MLS and the young players and the Americans who are really getting a chance then more so than maybe now, even in the league, uh, young, young Americans to come through. And I think the Canadian pathway is certainly working. And you just look at this system now um, and you look at this Canadian team now who, who are in the squad and you think about the MLS, like that player like Tyler Pasha, who had to go a different route and is back in Houston and scoring goals in MLS. And Mark Anthony Case, a great example of that, you know, cut by TFC, didn't make the team at TFC two, went to Louisville, Bob Bradley, as you know, found him and th thought, watched him at a high level playing for Canada and thought this guy could play for LAFC. And so there's different routes. There's no line between success and another success. It Answer me this. There's a, I know a lot when I see the Canadian players, I've learned to learn about all about Ontario. There's obviously good, there's good football there and the different neighborhoods and you see Brampton and Etobicoke. Yep. Is it? Yep. And yep. you see these guys coming from there. And then you have Alfonso Davies come out of Edmonton. And I think of the great white North and forgive me for sounding cliche, but I, I always say, are they playing? Are they playing the sport out there? Are they it seems like it's you can't cast a blind eye. It's not just in Quebec and Ontario, but there is whether it's Alberta, whether it's British Columbia to see some young players. It's obviously not churning full blast. But you again, it's some when you look at those areas, is the sport growing out there as well? Oh, 100 percent. It's booming. Nice. Here. Yeah. Booming, mate. The, the only thing is, is, as you know, we've been hit really hard by COVID restrictions yep. here, uh, a lot harder even than where you guys are. Um, some of us are only just getting getting through it. So we're only just lifting into phase three here where we can finally get people outdoors. And I know that for my own kids and what they can play. And so just seeing kids on the field again, you know, as young as 10 and getting out on the pitch and kicking a ball around the ones that I know. So um, that's been the difficult time for us, like over a year of really stunting development in a lot of these markets. So that's been a difficult time. But yeah, it's booming everywhere, you know, and obviously the, you know, the great white North, as you alluded to some of the Northern provinces, they have hit, you know, weather issues as we all do. Right. So unfortunately, mate, you know, we're not going out and onto the beach at six o'clock in the morning, 12, like 12 months a year, like you guys, and just uh, kicking the ball in beautiful California. So it's a uh, challenge for it us. It gets us lazy. Well. Christian, it gets us lazy. It's too, it's too <laughs> lazy. It gets us lazy. Oh. when We can sit at the beach and we can go at our own pace. When you have like a oh. small window to get out. I remember I was in Winnipeg. We were, to visit the, the when they did the Fox at, uh, show up there when we did the Fox soccer. And uh, I, w I went out of the hotel and I, I looked across the street. It was freezing. And I looked and I go, I don't know if I can cross. I don't know if I'm going to make it because the <laughs> wind I might. 
I was stunned by the cold, but I, there's something about being able to deal with that on a regular basis that has to make you stronger and you're going to get out and play sports. And then if you're used to that and all of a sudden you're play, kicking the ball around the beach, that's got to come easy. Uh, well, yeah, that's the thought, right? I mean, that's the thing. I think, you know, speaking to a lot of people here is that that's the key is that you've got to bring some resilience to these youngsters, right? And even here in Toronto, like we've got res- the tough because of the winter, but it, they do have a, you know, some of them do have it a lot easier than others. And then, you know, it's no surprise that some people come through the some of the districts that you talk about because it, it, they do come through real challenges, you know? And I know my friend Brendan Dunlop just wrote Dwayne DiRosario's book and just a shout out for that because Dero talks about coming through difficult times in Scarborough, uh, obviously a suburb of Toronto and how hard he had it and what a career Dero had in MLS. But you know, just spurred on by the fact that he just had so much adversity as a child. And I think that anybody in any sport would say that, you know, nothing comes easy. And then sometimes you're, you're rewarded for it at the end. Right, Max? Right, for sure. And Brendan uh, will happily push his book here. He's a good he's a good lad that Brendan known him yes. through the years on off through social media, et cetera. We are passed across a couple of times. And Dwayne D. Rosario is a great topic for a book. Hard to imagine that that era came because he was really the the at one time the most dominant player in major league soccer and right. has that has the titles to, sh- to prove it. Yes. The, so let's, let's, let's put a bow on the gold cup. And um, how do you see this going? I, I, I still think USA, Mexico and tournaments like this depth will find a way to get them into the final. Uh, I'm, I'm welcoming to see if it goes off, off the rails a little bit in some areas. I think Canada, could finish second if they finish second and i know in canada they have a look they have a really good shot based on what i saw to win that group uh there are some flaws with the u.s and it's not their strongest team we saw that certainly in the opening game against haiti uh i had my little sheet of paper so the usa would if they take second and first in group c so i maybe yes. jamaica costa rica yeah uh and i'd like to think canada has a shot against both those teams so yes. uh how, how do you see a good point yeah, how do you yeah, see their path? It's a good point, Max. I think here when we've evaluated evaluate, evaluated what success would be for Canada on our one soccer broadcasts up here, if they were able to win a quarterfinal, that would be a real successful tournament, particularly without Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David. You know, they this is what they're clamoring for, moments like that. So, yes, okay, Martinique was nice. Okay, Haiti, again, we'll take it. But U.S., bring it on, you know, quarterfinal, bring it on. This is what we want. This is what the players want. They want the opportunities to be tested. They want to feel like they belong in those moments. They want to feel like they can go out and deliver. And I think the United States are very strong, you know, and I know that people out there have a different perception of that, but they are at home. I think sometimes to their detriment, if you look at the United States' competitive record away from home in the last decade, it's pretty woeful. And that has been their detriment in World Cup qualifying. As an outsider, I'll just say that is that for me, the United States are a really really good team and they've got they've got something in them right now uh, that they had in that nations league final that canada knows is important that they need to get and they haven't got yet and that's the ability to win the ingredient of knowing you can win a game even when things aren't go- going your way and that special ingredient doesn't exist in a lot of teams and as an outsider i'll say that i think the united states has that yes so, so, certainly with Pul- when they had the, the stars like pulisic and mckenney's the driver for me he's got that little bit of special in him that he's that mentality and that's the next step for canada that's the next frontier is that how can we get that little drive in us that when we don't play well against big teams we still win that's the next step and you can only do that by playing them mate and the U.S. don't get that test on the road. And maybe it is a detriment because the Gold Cup, as long as we can remember, has always been in the United States. And they've yeah. even made it 
easier for the U.S. because now they don't even have to leave Kansas City in the group stage. They stay in the hotel, get nice and comfy uh, and don't have to go to an airport. So, I mean, part of me wants to see the U.S. tested on those roads because I don't want it to hit them like a fist when qualifying goes on there in San Salvador. And again, it's a young team. So they're going through this many, many cases for the first time together. Some individually have never experienced that. But going to San Pedro Sula and Honduras, and these tough ports of call and how prepared will they be for the reception, which has always been the big deal in in CONCACAF qualifying. It's always hard to explain to people, you know, it, you know, when I talk to Europeans and go, how could you guys drop points in Trinidad and here? And I, we understand it's you shouldn't. But there's something there. There is something about these rivalry games and the reception that these countries will receive. And it's never a good one. You've got to be prepared for anything and everything. Yes. And but I don't know if the U.S. are preparing themselves for those kind of road trips, because right now, if you look at what they've done uh, road wise, all the games they've played are in the U.S. Nations League was in the U.S. They went to Switzerland. They played Wales, you know, know, empty stadiums friendlies it's hard to really they haven't been able to duplicate and you can't force it you can't fake it so they're gonna have to learn on the job and it's a, it's a little bit terrifying because it's these are the kids these aren't the experienced guys I, I i believe they will answer the bell but you just don't know and you would like to see that to see that duplicated in some place where they can kind of get accustomed to it even if it's just a one-off yeah, I think that's the biggest problem they've got. And now there's really no solution to that. For me, that's why the, <laughs> I know it was a big story, but, you know, the the fractions of fans in the Nations League, you know, and Pulisic getting wound up by the Mexican, that, those snippets, yeah. and even though it's in in the United States, it's on your, that that's what you need. That's what you need. You know, those 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 moments of the match where you can close your eyes and you can actually feel like, hang on, we're not even in the United States right now. That's the only way you're going to get it, right? The mentality edge, but you're right. You know, these, these, these trips in CONCACAF, are tough. They taste bitter. It's awful times. You can't sleep. You got people setting up fireworks at your hotel. You got bags of urine thrown at you. You got terrible pitches. You got some shocking refereeing. You got it all, <laughs> mate. You know what I mean? You got to. You got to. You, you got to be ready for anything you get thrown at you, and everyone knows that. You get the whole and menu. <laughs> you get the whole menu. You do. You know. And sometimes you feel like it's a, what 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 a terrible taste in my mouth after it. So, uh, yeah. But it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun ride. Canada got to find that out as well. Um, but I do think that's been a bit of a problem for the United States. I think it cost them badly in the last World Cup qualifying, but I think now the leadership team, when I look at the team and I think of Pulisic and I think of uh, certainly McKenney, um, you know, Brooks and players like that, I think they've got something just that little bit extra up here that might, might be able to guide the team through. I, I agree with you. And, and you mentioned about Canada and uh, having to deal with COVID and we know that their games in these qualifiers were it, in Illinois, they couldn't play. Are they going to be able to be playing in Canada come September? And if they do, where would they, where would you put, like if you had a qualifier in November and December <laughs> and you had the U.S., where do you play those games to get that home point. field, that real Canadian home field advantage? It's a really great point. It's one that's been discussed up here. Here's the latest. So we've just reached phase three as of uh, Friday, the Ju- July the 16th at midnight. That means that they can have open, open uh, air um, events uh, for about 15,000 people. So it looks like, you know, uh, I'm sure once people listen to this after taping that TFC will be announcing their news that they're, they're going to be able to play at BMO Field. So oh, 
All right. hopeful is that September they'll be able to have fans in, and I think probably they'll probably play that game at BMO just because it is the national stadium in Toronto. But you're right, you know, they're going to have games where they won't be able to play them there. You're going to have to have games in January where they're probably going to have to go indoors. And I guess Vancouver would make sense for that. But there's been discussions already here about, oh, send Mexico to, uh, you know, Prince, Ed- Prince Edward Island or, or somewhere, you know. Like, I love just, it. Do it. You know, Do you know, it. Yeah, play, just to Mexico, play, of course. Play them in Halifax <laughs> against against Honduras in Halifax or something, you know, because it has been a problem here. As I said earlier, it can be a beautiful part of Canada, but it has been a problem here where Canada have had a lot of home games in the past and it's felt like an away game because of the amount of people from that country celebrating the other team. And that's unfortunate because, like you said, the home field advantage is so massive for some of these countries that everyone should be able to enjoy it. <laughs> I yeah. can only imagine. Where are we playing? We have to connect a couple of times. We're going to Halifax. Feels <laughs> a little bit nice. It's a sub-zero, wind chill, negative, whatever you call it. I'm not a weather person, but I know. Uh, let them have it. But it would be great optics to watch it as well. And by the way, just worth reiterating, and you know it as well, and Montreal's doing all right, and Toronto and Vancouver have really struggled. But the the burden put on these teams for MLS, even going back to MLS's back and not being able to be playing at home, not be able to go into your home, and it's I can't even imagine. And it's not fair. It's just the way it goes. That's you know we have to respect uh, the uh, the tears that are being placed in Canada. But it's it's very it's got to be very very difficult for these teams, and I I look forward to have for them to have some normalcy, to have their creature comforts, all of that, because that's important in performance, right? You can't really gauge it, but it has to be. Yes, it's an enormous challenge. You know, I feel really deeply sorry for many of them. You know, split away from their families for many months, and some of them remaining their families in Europe because the restrictions are better, and as you said, placed in bubbles of different parts, and just to get home and. And, and, you know, many, many coaches and Thierry Henry used to talk to me about this a lot in our broadcast meetings. And I think many reasons why Thierry is not here right now is because of it is that you just couldn't switch off from the game. You know, when you're just in that bubble or when you're in, you know, in a, an environment like that where you can't go home and see your family, no matter what job you do and no matter how much you love it, Max, you need to be able to switch off. And they couldn't, you know, that's what families and loved ones are for. That's what children are for. That's what so many things are is the ability to say, yeah, we love playing. We train hard. We go, you go home and you switch off for hours upon end. These guys haven't been able to do that because they haven't been able to have those families near them or being able to go into their own homes and switch off. So um, even right now, you know, we're com- I'm covering the Canadian Premier League and we've kicked off and we're inside a bubble and Winnipeg, where the team is literally in a hotel, to the training grounds, the match, to come back in a bubble, not allowed to leave. So it's still kind of going on here, and hopefully we you know we're coming back to home markets in, in August for the CPL, and 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 it looks like the MLS have got through it, the light at the end of the tunnel, but it has been difficult. Good, and just to make, to make it clear, Canadian teams can't play in their home markets in Major League Soccer because of restrictions. So they have been playing in places like Salt Lake with Vancouver, Montreal down in South Florida. I will say this, the the Canadians that I've met, if there's ever groups that can muscle through it, it's Canadians. They are hard as nails. They're good spirited. They have a good humor about them and uh, they will make the most, most of it. And so will their broadcasters like Christian Jack, who is That's nice funny. enough to join us here. And we and I and we know the broadcasters, everyone have the same issues. And you got you in particular move forward without skipping a beat. And we appreciate it because when I talk to you right now, I know it's it feels like there's nothing has changed. Nothing is different than the way you cover the sport there, but we know it has. And sure. you creating that normalcy obviously means a lot. And I, I, I know that means a lot for the folks that listen to you, the Canadian Premier League at one soccer. And that make, that's a big difference. Thanks, Max. I appreciate it. Obviously, you know, to get 
many people who fall in love with the game and, and give us positive comments means a lot, but coming from an absolute pro like you means a ton as well. So I hope everybody, I mean it. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to our show. I, as I said to you, I always enjoy our chats and uh, uh, pulling for LAFC this year, one of my favorite teams, and I love the way they play. Bob Riley's a great guy, Mark Anthony Kay as well. So um, I'm hoping that they can lift that trophy at the end of the year because they deserve it. Oh, good man. And, and we'll, we'll do this again. And just to, to be completely transparent, if I was in your shoes, I'd be complaining all the time about the cold and the restrictions, but that's just me. <laughs> I am I am very thin-skinned. I'll just I'll let you know. Christian, thanks so much that's for okay. joining. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Christian Jack Sokro G will be right back to wrap up the program. <laughs> 